on the 10th commandment, 10th commandment, we read from Exodus 20, from 20 verse 17, we read the word, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. In connection with that, we read a few portions from the New Testament, beginning with Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 19 to 26. Romans 3, from verse 19, here we read. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we'll continue to read in Romans 7. Romans 7. We'll first read verses 7 and 8, and then continue verse 14. It's Romans 7, from verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the Lord not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And then we'll go to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage of sin to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. 
but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the, with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And our last reading will, will be from Philippians, chapter 3, Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12 to 21. Philippians 3 from verse 12. There we read. Now that, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of it, of that for which I also I was laid, laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, for getting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we, are eagerly, we eagerly wait for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Seeing the teaching of the 10th commandment is also summarised in our Heidelberg Catechism. We'll read that, Lord's Day 44, that's page 56, back of our Psalter Hymnal. Lord's Day 44, page 56. And there the questions are asked and, and answered. What is God's will for us in the 10th commandment? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Rather, 
with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. But can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why then does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image. Until after this life, we reach our goal, perfection. Shall we now pray for the preaching? Lord God, thank you for your infallible word. Thank you that you wish to proclaim it to us again. Bless us in preaching and in listening. May your word come to us in spirit and in power. May we all embrace it in faith so that we may grow in holiness to your glory. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation, this afternoon I then want to preach on the word of the Lord under the theme, in his law, the Lord God demands every part of your life. So in his law, the Lord God demands every part of your life. And we'll consider, firstly, even your thoughts and desires, and secondly, so that you might know your sins and flee to Christ. Beloved, the Tenth Commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Have those issues not already been addressed in the preceding commandments? The Lord Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5 verse 28. And this falls under the seventh commandment. This is true. Yet according to the letter of the law, the preceding commandments speak only of deeds. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. In the tenth commandment, God explicitly focuses on the heart. The Lord looks behind the nice front we can put up. 
He examines the heart. He asks, maybe you lead a decent life, but are you really satisfied? Content? Are you truly convinced that I care enough for you? Or are you jealous? Or do you crave for all kinds of things which you do not have? You might not act on those desires, but you may set your heart on it. Perhaps you desire great wealth rather than learning to manage with what the Lord gives. You might, for example, want to win big money through lottery or gambling. And you'd then soothe your conscience by telling yourself that the lottery is ultimately for a good cause. Well, beloved, in this situation, God enters your heart and life. According to the laws of the country, you've done nothing wrong. But the Lord does condemn gambling, for example. The Lord also holds the government accountable for the approval of gambling. Gambling machines and lottery. They appeal to people's greed and stimulate wrong desires. And why does the government approve these practices? Because it seems it can make money from it. Money is worth more than the well-being of our citizens. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. You seem to be leading a decent life. And you wouldn't dream of it to separate from your husband or wife. But now the Lord says, do you really accept your husband or wife as from my hand? Do you really make every effort to be the wife or the husband that I want you to be? Or do you let your heart or eyes go out to some other man or woman because he or she is so attractive or understanding. You shall not covet your neighbour's house or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Can you still be thankful for the position and income God has given you? Or are you constantly chasing after more and better? Does everything have to make way for your ambition so that you have no time for the loved ones around you? No time for church? No time for God? Beloved, to be content or envious. That's what the 10th commandment is about. And when you see this, you realise how far-reaching God's law is. God addresses sinful thoughts and desires that can ruin your life. On the outside, 
Everything is wonderful. But sin on the inside can be deadly. Sin against the Tenth Commandment already had great influence in paradise. We read in Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. The woman eagerly desired to eat from the forbidden fruit to be wise like God. She was not content with her glorious position under God. She discarded her perfect relationship with the Lord in favour of her desire for more and better. History continues. Cain envies Abel. The Lord warns him, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must master it. However, Cain does not master it. He gives in to it. He kills his brother Abel. Achan can't leave Jericho's valuable spoil to the Lord. He wants to keep back something for himself. Later, King Ahab covets Naboth's vineyard. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, even betrays his Lord for money. However, all these desires did not bring happiness. On the contrary, it ruined lives. Adam and his wife were banished from paradise and brought death upon themselves and mankind. Cain had to flee for his life. Achan was stoned to death. Ab was later killed. And Judas hung himself. In Proverbs 14 verse 30, we read, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A calm, peaceful mind keeps the body healthy. Envy consumes a person. Sin against the Tenth Commandment has a negative impact on your life and health. Dissatisfied, unhappy people ruin their health. And thus in the Tenth Commandment, God addresses sinful thoughts and desires, lust for money or possessions, envy, discontent, They are sins that can ruin your own life and that of others. It disturbs good relationships. It can destroy marriages and families. What a trauma involved. It can even lead to crime. This is, for example, one of the possible consequences 
of the addiction to gambling, drinking, or drugs. Wrong desires can get you so caught up in sin that everything else has to suffer for it. You're no longer really interested in the happiness of others. As long as you can satisfy your desires. Brothers and sisters, how grateful we can be that God gives us this tenth commandment to protect us against ourselves. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbour's. In these words, the Lord shows that he demands every part of your life. Even your thoughts and desires. And that's what a catechism summarises the scriptural teaching of the Tenth Commandment as follows. That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of the commandments of God should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in what is right. True, such thoughts can sometimes arise just like that, against your will. But that doesn't make it right. It is sin. Maybe you, become, you suddenly become too intimate with that man or woman. Maybe your eyes are attracted by all kinds of desirable things or by pornographic images in magazines, papers, on your computer or phone. It can happen so easily. But it's not right. On the contrary, you must learn to hate all sin, and to delight in all righteousness, in every thought or deed. Beloved, these commands are a constant struggle. But you don't have to fight in your own strength. You may do it together with others. In the church, God also for that reason gives us to each other so that we'd help each other so that we'd hold each other accountable and support each other of course you yourself are responsible for your own thoughts and actions you have to fight the good fight yourself but you also do have a responsibility towards others Maybe you're quite content with what God has given you. But imagine you keep talking about or showing off your wealth and your successes to others. Then you could be the cause of it that others become envious of you. Yes, maybe you feel comfortable in the clothes you wear. But in the meantime, you may perhaps be dressed in such a way that you provoke sinful thoughts and desires in others. 
you will certainly have to take that into account when you choose what you wear. The battle against our sinful desires is a battle we must fight together. Therefore, help each other. Protect each other. Hold each other accountable. Be content with what God gives. Hate all sin and have pleasure in what is right. Brothers and sisters, when you understand the Tenth Commandment in this way, you notice how sharp and far-reaching God's law is. It's without loopholes. No one can escape the discipline of God's law. For the Lord demands your heart. In his law, God demands more than all the laws our country could ever demand of us. Civil laws always have certain loopholes. Some people are adept in finding new loopholes. God's law has no loopholes. It demands every part of my life, even my deepest hidden thoughts and feelings. But brothers and sisters, doesn't this make it all very depressing? God's law is very sharp and radical. Who can reach that standard? If God had only addressed my deeds, I could still stand. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. But now God addresses, addresses my deepest thoughts and feelings. I'm lost. For who can fulfill God's strict demands? No one. Every day we sin again in our weakness. Even our best works are stained with sin. Even the holiest in this life has only a small beginning of the new obedience. The holiest do not get any further than a small beginning. And do you dare to include yourself among the most holy ones? How far do you then get in keeping God's commandments? Beloved, why does God keep coming with such a radical and strict law that no one can keep during his life? Here we come to the second point. God keeps coming with his all-embracing demands so that we might know our sins and flee to Christ. Must we now conclude that our situation is hopeless and that we can't do anything about it? Since we, after all, are human and that's how humans are? Must you, after hearing the law, say, it's been said beautifully, but in real life it doesn't work anyway? And tomorrow, we'll already have forgotten all about it. 
You might even think, just as well, we forget it so quickly. Otherwise, we'd have a nervous breakdown. After all, when you constantly have to deal with laws that are out of your reach, you would almost automatically become depressed. Well, brothers and sisters, never reason like that. For who is the one that comes to you with that all-embracing law? It's the Lord, your covenant God. The law is not just a hobby horse of certain pastors. Now in the law, the Lord, Lord God is busy with you, reaching out to you. And what does he want to achieve, achieve with it? This, that you become more and more aware of your sins and the seriousness of it. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 3 verse 19 and 20. So that we might humble ourselves before God and honestly acknowledge our sins. To free us from that superficial idea, yes, we are all sinners. We do a lot of wrong things. But when you ask, what have you done wrong? We don't even know it. What we did wrong. Now God wants you to be fully aware of your sins and to face them honestly. Those awful thoughts. The time I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading God's word. That discontent. Lack of thankfulness. Envy. Those hateful feelings. Those adulterous sexual desires. That unholy craving for things others have. No, don't hide it. Don't deny it. This is indeed how sinful you are. Realise that you only get so far with God's law. Be honest with yourself. Maybe people think you're an exemplary Christian. But you know those sinful thoughts and desires in your life. And God knows every one of them too. He knows you through and through. And then it doesn't help to deny your sins. And therefore honestly acknowledge your sinful nature, your sinful thoughts, words and deeds. The Lord lets, the Lord lets his law be preached so strictly so that you will become fully aware of your sinfulness. And the Lord doesn't do it to make you depressed. How could he? He's the Lord, our God, our Redeemer. And remember, he has freed you from the slavery of sin and death. 
in the preamble to the law, he says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from the house of slavery. Yes, in New Testament terms, who delivered you from the slavery of sin. And only after the Lord has given you such a deliverance did he give his strict law not to drive you back into slavery under a heavy burden, not to get you down and make you despair. That's not why he saved you. By strict law, he wants to drive you in the arms of Jesus Christ so that you seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness in Christ. The knowledge of sin gives me every reason to humble myself before God, to go to God in prayer with the confession of my sin and guilt not to be rejected by God, but to enjoy salvation with him. You go to the cross with all your sins. At the cross, you see the seriousness of your sins. Remember how terribly Christ had to suffer for your sins that he even had to endure hell for it. But at the cross, you also start feeling safe again. The cross is a refuge, a shelter. There all my sins were atoned for. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, all my sins are forgiven. Thus the Lord God drives you to the cross, to our Lord Jesus Christ, to the greatest demonstration of his love for sinners like you and me. At the cross you learn to say, I am a great sinner, but also I have a great saviour. I am a great sinner, but also I have a great saviour. And wouldn't that make you happy and thankful? Then you no longer talk about your sins in a superficial and careless way. You then talk about your sins as someone who has found refuge in Christ's cross. As someone who realises the full gravity of sins as a humble person humble before God and humble towards each other and you know you are safe and secure in your Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ but congregation that's not all yet with his strict law God doesn't just drive you to Christ for forgiveness he also drives you to Christ for renewal. He also drives us forward on the road to perfection. Verse 
As a repentant sinner, you do not want to live in your sin. You hate that sin. It's atrocious. And you'll then make every effort to break with sin and to please your Redeemer, to live according to his commands. No, this does not mean that you can now build on your own good intentions or on your own good efforts. That would only lead to great disappointment. Every effort will have to be made in prayerful dependence on God. I can't do it in my own power. And therefore, I must pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit and never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image. You therefore start praying a lot. Not just at certain occasions, before or after meals. Also before you go to school, college, university, work. Before you accept your various challenges and tasks of the day, you need God's help, God's strength, strength for the fight against sin. To flee sin and to do good works in everyday life isn't easy. Even among your own people, among your classmates or colleagues. It's not easy to do God's will when your peers put pressure on you to join them in doing things that do not serve his glory or the good of your neighbour. Persistent prayer remains necessary. Prayer for the guidance and power of the Spirit. And when you pray like this, you'll be able to make a fresh start again and again. For the Lord helps those who sincerely seek him. He doesn't leave you to your own resources. He gives strength to say no to your friend or classmates. To say no to sin. And the more you say no to sin, the easier it starts becoming to continue on that path you started with. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In that strength, Paul could be content, satisfied in whatever circumstances he was. And this also applies to you and to me, to everyone who believes in good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in health and sickness. When you're alone in life or when your marriage is not happy, for the Spirit teaches you to deal with whatever circumstances you face. True here on earth, you will not reach perfection. The believer Noah got himself drunk. David, a man after God's heart, 
committed adultery and murder. Peter denied his master three times. The great apostle of the Gentiles, Paul, calls himself a wretched man and one of the greatest sinners. Even after his conversion, Paul acknowledges that when he wants to do good, evil is present in him. But all the sins that remain in the believers are no reason to conclude that it makes no difference how you live. After all, even the most holy ones are failures. No. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, the distinction between believers and unbelievers starts becoming clearer. Believers begin to live through Christ and for Christ. Do you recognize that in your life? That you live for Christ? More and more through Christ and for Christ? You pursue holiness. You strive for perfection. Yes, you're on your way to perfection. One day you'll receive it. Not by your own achievement, but as a gift of God. Christ will then present you without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Today it's not that far yet. True. And that's why God still proclaims his law to you. To teach you to seek your refuge in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. It gives the restless soul Peace, courage, and strength. It also makes you very thankful. Yes, thankfully, the Lord does not resign to our present sinfulness. He wants to see us perfect before him again. And he makes sure that it will come true one day when Christ returns. The fact that he keeps coming to you with his perfect law shows you how serious he is about it. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your perfect law that you care so much for us that you keep coming to us with that law. Grant that we, through that perfect law of love, may realise how serious our condition and conduct is so that we realise that we need Jesus Christ a saviour. Yes, drive us all to Jesus Christ and his cross. Thank you for giving us the answer to our depravity and bankruptcy. 
so that we may appear before you innocent, washed in Christ's blood. Grant us your spirit that we may grow in holiness. Thank you that you also give us your law as a rule of thankfulness so that we might know how to show our love and thanks to you. Renew us more and more after your image. And grant that people may recognise you in us, your grace and power in our lives, so that people may see our good works and give glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.